lots of people in the collective are talking about the patriarchy and feminism and the toxic masculine and the toxic feminine. And what does all of that really mean? And how do we move forward out of these last thousands of years of power over into a new model where every human being is valued and is respected and has a voice. Today's guest is Leslie Michaels, who was born to feminism and comes from a long line of feminists and savvy women. Join us to find out more. Join us on this beautiful journey. So let the show. So let show. Before we start this episode, I, Carrie Hummingbird, and I, Akeem Sami, want you to know that you are invited. You're invited to, to join, join Soul Nectar, Nectar Tribe. If you like what you hear on Soul Nectar Show, you will love being in person with us in Soul Nectar Tribe. We invite you to check it out. First 30 days is free. Right now, go to carryhummingbird.com, K-E-R-R-I, hummingbird.com, forward slash membership, and sign up. We'll We'll see see you at at our our next tribe tribe gathering. gathering. And now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Soul Nectar Show, that show where we talk about all things essence, where we gather around the campfire and we share our stories of connection to that which is bigger than us, to the great mystery, beyond the veil, to those synchronistic moments that lead us inexorably to a deeper understanding of ourselves and this planet and what we're doing here at this time on earth. I'm your host, Carrie Hummingbird, and I love having these conversations week after week with amazing people who have slices of life to share with us and unique points of view that make us stretch our own perspectives, make us go deeper within our own selves and maybe give us another piece of that puzzle of human consciousness so that we can wrap our arms around all of it and really understand more of ourselves, what this life experience is all about. And today we're going to be talking about feminism and You know, I have always been a feminist and I just maybe didn't declare myself so publicly or be marching in parades, but I've always been an advocate of women's choice and women's rights and the power to choose your own destiny, to chart your own course. And I do that work with people all the time in my groups. And I'm always uh, such an advocate for women to realize their own strength and their own resiliency. And to break free of the conditioning that told us otherwise. So I'm really delighted today to have a conversation with Leslie Michaels, who was born to feminism. And her foundational ethos was shaped by her audacious paternal grandmother, who was a first wave feminist and a savvy businesswoman. I had one of those myself, Leslie. Uh, my grandmother, Rosemary, was owned her own house in a generation where women didn't do that and was the teacher of a dental hygienist school when women were not the main teacher. That's kind of who my grandmother was, very much inspired me to be a strong woman. And Leslie, I see in your, in your case, 
you came of age just as the second wave feminism was becoming a significant American social movement. And at age 16, you even struck out on your own for New York City and the heart of the cultural transformation that was really happening in the 60s and 70s. And of course, I was born in 1969. And so I was born into that, you know, that uh, movement uh, with a mother that was as passionate, I'm sure, as you are. And so welcome, Leslie, to the show. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you, Carrie. I'm very excited to be here. So tell me a little bit, get, get us started, you know, bring us into your world a little bit. Where did you really start realizing your passion for feminism? Well, I suppose my passion for feminism, as is it dubbed feminism, started in on the streets of New York in 1970, 1971, 1972. And we're pushing for the Equal Rights Amendment. Up until then, it had been what was shaping me, but we didn't have the word feminism. And my grandmother in 1940, she owned her own business and her own home in her own name. It, unheard of. Like your grandmother, every state in the nation had laws against women owning physical assets. So that was my normal. And then by the time I came along and I was a teenager, all the businessmen around town would make appointments with her and they'd come to her to decide and, and discuss, you know, this is not going right. What can we do, Jerry? What can you suggest that we do? And she was counseling the men. That was my normal. Then when I, being, you know, an old hippie, back in those days, that's how we got around. We stuck out our thumb and hitchhiked. And being in New York and having words attached to things and having definitions attached to things was profoundly helpful because it was answering questions that I didn't know I had, but that I had experienced just as waves or or balls of confusion or um, absence of understanding. And all of a sudden, I'm in New York and I'm hearing all of this. And I remember the first time I heard Gloria Steinem speak. And she said, we cannot address what we cannot name. And that spoke so deeply to me. I'd been raised with this feminist ethos, but I didn't know feminist. I didn't know what that meant. I just knew that was the life I'd lived and it was different than anyone else. And it wasn't applauded by the parents of those who would have been my little girlfriends, but they were saying, oh no, you got to stay away from that girl. Yeah, she's dangerous. She actually thinks for herself <laughs> and she's not going to be controlled. Yeah, it's hard when you're, I also was born to a very feisty mother. So my my grandmother was on my dad's side, my stepdad. And, but oh, my mom, that's, cool. that's so cool. Yeah. yeah. And my mom was more like raised in Midwest Texas. And my grandmother was the part of the church. She was, they were Pentecostal Christian. So very radical Christian. And she believed that women serve men. And I mean, she told me that as a 15 year old and I looked at her like cross-eyed, like, who are you? I love you. You're my grandmother. You're so sweet. You're really kind, but that's not who I am. I might run for president one day. Are you going to vote for me? And she said, no, because women serve men. And I was so hurt by that. I thought, Mm -hmm. what is wrong with you? You wouldn't vote for your granddaughter. But, you know, I I became better than a president. I became a speaker. So, (laughs) right. So tell me, yeah, I'd like to be free. 
So tell me about that experience of, you know, noticing the difference between your own upbringing and the prevailing environment that you were in. Well, it has continued carry all my life because I was raised so dramatically different from everyone else. And so that becomes, however we're raised, becomes our initial branding. Now we go out and we evolve and we become self-aware and we decide what we're going to keep and what we're going to throw out. But a lot of that branding that I received early on, I kept in terms of women can do anything. A little tiny little funny story that exemplifies this. Our favorite uncle came to town. He was everybody's favorite uncle. And he was at my parents' house. And you know how back in the day, maybe they still do it. Um, hope not. Adults would look at kids and say, what are you going to be when you grow up? And he looked at me and asked me that. And before I could open my mouth, my dad said, anything she wants to be. And that was it. That was the final word. It was clear there was to be no more discussion about it. So I had that. Then on the other side of it, my mother is a very proper British woman. And like so many of her generation who were raised in bomb shelters, she married the first yank that came along because she was chasing that American dream, get out of this country where she'd been raised in bomb shelters and sent to the country when she was a kid because of the bombing and all of this. The women were very strong. They had to be. But she was ready to go back to that very proper lifestyle that had been stolen from her at youth. And then there was me. I was the wild child. So it was quite a juxtaposition to be in and to learn to self-identify when you have these contrasting expressions of female strength. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? Because like your case and like my case with my two grandmothers, it's like they couldn't be more opposite from each other. Mm -mm. And I saw my mom and my mom was like, well, this is why I left Texas. You know, and we lived in New England. So also we had that experience of New England, which is a different culture. But I know that this is sort of, um, although in the South, one might get the idea that there's a lot of this kind of misogynist thinking there is, but that's everywhere. I noticed it wasn't just in the South, you know, so let's not be deceiving ourselves. It's pretty much all over the place and, and in some really big primary institutions in our country. Most of them, it's worldwide. I've traveled worldwide as a speaker, Carrie, and I've yet to be in a country where it didn't exist and where women didn't come up afterwards and say, you speak from an American perspective. Can I tell you about my perspective here in England? Can I tell you about my perspective here in Australia, here in New Zealand, here in et cetera, et cetera, fill in the blank. It exists everywhere. And it just never occurred to me to do anything other than what I do. It never occurred to me to do anything other than to speak to women about our power, our potential, and something that I didn't and still don't hear spoken of very much, our responsibility within that. I love that you're saying that, the responsibility. Talk more about that, because that's actually really key. It is really key. When I speak to women, I I write from the beginning, somewhere early in whatever talk I'm giving, I say, okay, let's stop blaming the patriarchy. I'm not saying there isn't one. I'm not saying it isn't oppressive. We're all smart women. We know that exists. 
But let's stop blaming them because to blame them says that we are weak, that we are fragile, that we are incompetent, that we are unable. And I don't buy it. I absolutely don't buy it. Women are strong. Women are courageous. They are creative. They are audacious. And by that point, I pretty much have the attention of every woman in the room. The ones who have been playing small, using that as a means to play small, those who haven't been and are glad for someone to name it, and then that small group in the middle who just do not want to move out of the blame game. But there is a level of responsibility in acknowledging that we do have power and that we are brilliant and that we are creative. Just consider everything we do. We work. We take care of the children. We nurse the elders through their end of days. We take care of the family. We negotiate with the plumber, the electrician, the school board, et cetera, and do it all in a rather seamless and effective way. Yeah, I incredible. And we shouldn't have to do all that. But if we look at the fact that we do it and we do it well, then we can start at a different level of self-perception of what we are capable of accomplishing. Yeah, I feel like we can't we can't sort of on the one talk out of both sides of our mouth. So out of one side of the mouth, we're saying we're powerful, we're empowered, we're making our own choices, we live our own lives. And on the other side, we're saying, but the patriarchy is blocking me and it's making it hard for me to do that. And I'm a victim. And we can't be a victim and sovereign at the same time. No, we can't. And one of the things that I see, if I may, Carrie, yeah, one of the things I see really blocking women in terms of the professional world. Oh, it was a, two, a couple of years ago. There were a rash of articles through Harvard Business Review, Forbes, et cetera, talking about the escalating virus of woman-to-woman instability in the corporate world and how it was limiting the number of women who could be brought into the C-suite because it was a little intimidating to the men when women get in a fight. I mean, when we we're smart, you don't want us fighting in front of you. And we shouldn't be. We shouldn't be. It's all based in this age old tradition of thinking there's too little real estate and we have to scratch and bite and claw to get our little piece. And that is a patriarchal programming that was used to hold women in small positions And as long as we become the advocates of that belief and we fight with each other, the patriarchy doesn't have to do anything. We're beating ourselves. We are defeating ourselves. We are defeating each other. And my main premise throughout my book with my TED Talk, everywhere I go is lift one with you as as you rise. We must lift one with you as as you rise. We are 50.53% of the population. We can have as much real estate as we want, but we have to stop feeding on each other. Yeah, and in my world, in my training, I view that as the shift that we're undergoing right now on the planet in between the previous model of power over, which is the scarcity model. There's not enough resources, it's out there and you have to claim it and grab it and bring it home to the power within model that says, just sink your roots deep into the earth and you've got everything you need. You know, no one can take from you what's yours. And so that's why, you know, this competition model is also based on, you know, I see it all the time where women do cut each other down in order to thinking that they need more than the other person. 
or they need to be more wise or they need to have more credentials or they need to. And it's still there on a subtle level, even if people aren't doing it overtly, it's still like mm-hmm. in the subtext. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And we need to look carefully at that shadow and root that out. I love that you say that everything we need is there. I agree. No one can hold us back. I agree. I agree. When we are in this engagement of competition and comparison and incivility, it's not that person we're looking at that's holding us back. It's us and the way we are viewing ourselves, the way we are viewing them. And, you know, the world includes men. So, you know, I'm the first to say it is sometimes hard for me when I get um, passionate, let's say, to remember in that moment oh, this behavior wasn't caused by all men. Okay, like this is one individual. Like uh, last night, my husband and I just went to say, uh, see, she said, which is that movie about Harvey Weinstein and all the women that he molested and abused and, you know, bullied. Yes. In watching that movie, it's like I noticed myself because the feminist, like the really radical feminist within me wants to just like, wants to kick men in the, you know where, (laughs) you know? And, And then I have to breathe because it's like, oh my gosh, I have two boys. I was gifted two boys and I love my boys and I care for them. And I don't want them to grow up in a world where they think their own mother is against them because I'm not, I am for them and I'm for every person. And so I think we have to really find that place within ourselves where we like, at least for me, I've had to choose. I'm for every single human to know their own power and to use it responsibly. Because I've also heard, you know, I've had this discussion. Of course, I know all of us for decades, if you've been alive in the planet and you had this conversation, you ran up against a man who said, but women took advantage of me, but women manipulated me, but a woman took all my money, but a woman did this and she knows exactly what she's doing. And all those things are true too. So, you know, women are just as capable of of abusing power as men are. So we need to be every single one of us responsible, right? With how we use our power. Well, and one of the things that we need to be really cognizant of is patriarchy doesn't mean men. Patriarchy is a system that of government that is developed and implemented through government to oppress the opposite sex, which has always been in our society for hundreds of years, the women. So it is a system. It is not the individuals, which is why we have beautiful men who are tremendous allies and feminists. And then we have women who are just absolutely infested with internalized misogyny, such as the woman who manipulated the man and took his money and took this and that and the other. She was so invested with misogyny with patriarchal teaching that she fell into the trap of believing that's the only way she could have what she wanted was it take it from someone else that's right in a cold-hearted way you know and so what we've started doing i noticed in spiritual circles is referring to these patterns as the toxic feminine and the toxic masculine and Mm -hmm. as a way of sort of differentiating that people can have either pattern no matter what body they're in. They can be exhibiting the toxic feminine pattern or they can be exhibiting the toxic masculine pattern. And Mm -hmm. we've kind of 
tried to, you know, it's so hard to talk around all this because now we even have people who are non-binary, right? And who might not even understand this conversation if they haven't been on the planet long enough, right? So mm-hmm. how do we start to reveal this conversation to people who, because at this point it's, I mean, well, we're getting some more dramatic displays of it, obviously, some more overt displays of the patriarchal structures, but how do we open people to see the subtext? Toxic masculinity has been the buzz ever since Harvey. And I think that is great because like Gloria Stein said, we can't address something till we name it. However, particularly in this country, what I have observed is once we've named something, we cling to that name as if it is our only life preserver. Name it and then progress on. Name it and evolve on. Because while toxic masculinity has been legitimately and reasonably a big topic, toxic femininity hasn't. And so I have been speaking to people about forget the whole feminine, masculine, what, forget it. Because we have non-binary, we have so many people. Let's find a more inclusive term. How about toxic human behavior patterns? And that includes everyone, absolutely everyone. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so tell me, how would you define, how do you define toxic human behavior patterns um, that is inclusive of all of this uh, conversation we're having on the planet right now? Do you believe you have to compete and compare in order to achieve your greatest potential? Do you feel like you have to always look over your shoulder to protect yourself against someone else that might take your place. Otherwise, you won't achieve your potential. And it goes like that. If all of your safety and all of your potential for achieving your individual greatness is based on what is happening outside of you, you are in a toxic place from the inside out. So go back into the center of you and find what part of you doesn't believe you can, doesn't believe you deserve, is angry that you have to work for it. We all have to work for it. And address that first. You address that first and the ripple effect that will reach out from you to touch everyone will carve a path not only for you, but for others to come along with you. And that's the lift one with you as you rise principle. You have to let go of this internalized battery. And then you can reach your potential and take others along. I love that. That's, uh, you know, that's very similar to what I was saying before about the power over to power within. And on my journey, I've recognized the power and the importance of shadow work because we have to look in those places within ourselves that are judging, right? So judgment, when I notice myself in judgment or jealousy, that's my clue. It's like, oh, okay, you got something here, Carrie. What is that? Let's take a look at it. Why are you having that feeling? And not to deny it or bypass it or avert my eyes, but really? actually to, like the subtlest nuance of it to go right into the middle of it and expose it to myself and to look at it with compassion. Where is that coming from? And usually it's coming from some kind of insecurity, you know, within myself that I need to see and witness that, you know, that's not really it's not about the other person. It's about me. And I think that women, 
women have to learn how to interact with each other. I think also we need to learn how to interact with with each other without putting the men in the middle. I see this pattern so much where instead of directly working with each other and to solve issues that are coming up, women will tend to put men in the middle. And that's, I think, what you were getting at when you were talking about men don't want to be, you know, in these C-suite meetings with these women attacking each other. That's right. They don't want to be put in the middle anymore. They're done with that. They're just like, stop Mm -hmm. putting me in the middle. You say I'm causing all the problems, but look, I'm watching you two fight over this like cats. So how are we all going to take responsibility to be conscious humans at this time? It's a... I find it a fascinating sociological and psychological study, but those are my topics. To watch women who are powerful, educated, smart, and they will claim their power in many different circles, but they get into one particular situation where they feel threatened, where they feel a little insufficient from the inside. And that's when they will put a man between them and the other woman. What they have essentially done is they have turned to that man, be it their husband, be it their boss, whoever it is, and they have put them in a daddy position. They have shrunk themselves back down to that five-year-old that needs daddy to come in and protect them. Be it your husband, be it your boss, be it your banker, they don't want to be your daddy and shouldn't have to be. It is not reasonable to expect those around us to see us as powerful and accomplished and capable in this set of circumstances, but running to daddy in this set of circumstances and continue to give us any individual credibility because we haven't given that credibility to ourselves first. You know, I cannot help as I'm listening to you speak, but make the connection because I'm I'm such a dot connector multidimensionally to see the programming in the collective, it's like, well, of course, because we also have, you know, a daddy to run to in the God in the clouds, right? And then his son, Jesus, we can run to him too and not have to take responsibility for our own challenges and our own shadows and the work that we need to be doing. You know, this is what is also happening with the rise of um, people opening to the great mother and to this, you know, this mother energy on mother earth and to the healing, the mother wound and learning to accept and and embrace our own power and really dismantle all of these roles and conditions placed upon women and mothers. Mm -hmm. And in order to be accepted and belong, and we've got to stop thinking of things as so um, as so binary, like so binary, right? Like we we right. need to move out of that idea that God is a male. We've got to like embrace some new ideas because we are the extrapolation of that concept in our physical form. I had a friend. He's gone now. He was elder then, and I was in my late twenties. But he was a linguist, and he worked at Princeton. He'd been professor emeritus there for a long time. And I met him because he was the grandfather of a friend. And he had gone back and taken the Bible and he had retranslated it. He said the way it was translated from Aramaic and then to Latin and then to English is rather like translating a goat into a horse. They're not the same. 
They both have four legs, completely different functions in life. So anyway, long story short, I asked him, I said, so what is this God thing? I've always had a bit of a reverence. <laughs> and that's exactly how I said it to him. What's this God thing? And he said, well, that's an interesting question. He said, because when you, and he walked me through and he showed me on the papers, you know, we take it from that language to this language, to this language. And when we get to this language, they added these letters, which took it to this and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the bottom line is the original translation, if it was translated accurately, is shimmering golden presence. And I said at that point, I said, that's the first thing I've heard I can get behind. I believe we all have that. Shimmering golden presence male. without a it, gender. It's not male. It's not female. It is a shimmer. That's according to this brilliant, aged linguist. That was the more accurate and true definition to what we have assigned the word God. Yeah, I can get behind that too, you know, because I think that it's so damaging. I think that part of the reason why in Western culture we are having this struggle is that many women are given the idea that they're somehow less than God. They're less than divine. They're not. They're like, they're shameful because of Eve and the garden and all this kind of story. The, the mythic story of our culture puts women at the bottom of the pile and as untrustworthy vixens, you know, and I, yes. unless you surrender all your power and be a good girl. And those of us who don't feel called to be a good girl, because being a good girl means allowing yourself to be molested or raped or any number of atrocities, we feel we need to stand up to that and not allow that to happen. You know, mm-hmm. we become labeled as um, somehow devilish, you know, and so I think this entire system is misogyny is, you know, stemming from this cultural myth, you know, that has gotten started that, as you said, was actually mistranslated. Yes, absolutely. And, oh, I could go down the rabbit hole with you on this one, you know, from the 48 books of the Bible that are buried in the basement of Vatican libraries that no one has seen for, I don't know, over a thousand years, because they would make us too empowered, and on and on and on. But the bottom line is, apply some critical thinking. Just apply some critical thinking. If this is going to be your book by which you live, just let's start the beginning. There was Adam, there was Eve, they had two boys. Eve became too powerful, so she was, actually, it was first, it was Adam and Lilith, and then she had to go away, and then Adam and Eve, and they had two boys. The boys got in a fight. And then each went off to different parts of the world to join different communities. Wait a minute. I thought it was only Adam and Eve. I thought they were only Adam and Eve. And then they had two boys. Where did these other communities come from? So look at everything through the lens of this is a book that was written hundreds of years after everyone had died. And the individuals who were putting it on papyrus were doing whatever degree of job they could to write down what had been verbal stories. And there's some wisdom in there, but it doesn't mean every word is doctrine. Yeah, what you're getting at is the literalism, you know, literalism versus mythology. And when we approach really? life through the mythical lens, 
we actually have a greater capacity to find a heart-based truth. But when we approach things from the literal lens, we get stuck in the mind. And the same is true of no matter what angle you look at this feminism conversation, when we look at things literally, we're going to end up fighting and having opposing opinions. And when we look at things mythically, there's a spot for everybody in the story. There's, Mm -hmm. There's grace for every person. And so at the end of the day, don't we have to ask ourselves, do we want to be right or do we want to be happy? Exactly. And if we start in our heart and let our mind be the interpreter and help put the puzzle pieces together, it's going to put the world together more strongly. Whereas if we start in our mind, then the continuation of of separation. And I just want to go back to, you were saying we must remember there are men. One of the things I have said from the beginning is one of the most empowering thing that will ever happen to men is gender equality. It is going to take so many unreasonable expectations and burdens off of them that they're going to have the opportunity to find out who they are rather than just having to slave away to be the ones and the onlys at the top building the companies, legislating for the country, et cetera, et cetera. It will be a huge emancipation for them. But it's important to focus on the women because they're the ones who are below par in what they're receiving. But as soon as we get up there to equal, we don't want to be more than the men. It didn't work for the men to be more than the women, so it's not going to work for the women to be more than the men. We just want to be on par. and then. Everyone has an opportunity to offer their contribution and everyone has an opportunity to feel respected and valued and everyone has the opportunity to have that time to go within. Yeah, I think that all forms of caste need to be eliminated and all forms of the ladder, the the pedestal, you know, all of that. And so that we're all just human beings standing on the earth together working on problems together from different perspectives, but finding a solution that that serves the most. And from an honest, integrous place, not from a place of, of positioning and having to be right. Um, yes. You know, I think that when we, when we lead from our hearts and we lead from the highest intention, that whatever it is we're doing is serving the whole, is serving everyone and the planet, the animals, the, you know, not just humans, but like all of life on the planet, when we set our intentions high enough, our hearts are going to lead us towards a solution that works for most people. And I think it, we have to move out of this power over model, this scarcity model, this low consciousness, this survival brain, and into that higher brain, the frontal cortex, where we can use our imaginations and our intuition and our soul's guidance to come up with the solutions that will have genius on the planet. And it's clear who's doing that because when you, you know, when you see their solution, it's like, wow, that's brilliant. Yeah, that's what happens when you become more conscious and you open your heart. Yeah, it's what happens when you cease to give the limbic mind, which I associate with a five-year-old, when we cease to give the limbic mind the keys to the castle and follow that little five-year-old around following their directives. 
If we come into the prefrontal cortex and the frontal lobes, as you say, the creative centers, then that's where growth, that's where expansion, that's where evolution takes place. You know, and this is, you know, all of these conversations coming up on the planet, Leslie, like all these shadows we've been seeing that have been surfaced, you know, the archetypal patterns, right? Um, we've had like a really obvious archetypal pattern of the disrespectful man, you know, who has all the power and doesn't need to be kind to anyone. <laughs> we, we he can do whatever he wants and stop around like a five-year-old. And I don't need to say who that is. We all know, you know, we have these archetypal patterns out there and they're showing us what we've been doing for thousands of years to each other. And so we are being invited now to be more mature. And the maturity lies in doing what's right for the collective, making choices based on that bigger picture, right? And not based on the five-year-old inside of us that would like to have all the cookies today or would like to go to the movies instead of do some productive, you know, chop wood, carry water. We'd like to, you know, have its way and it doesn't get its way, gets mad we have to be more mature and realize that we all have different perspectives and those all deserve to be heard. Like the indigenous communities in native American communities, they have this practice called the talking stick. And so whenever there's a decision in the community, every single person from the smallest to the most elder and the most wise gets to have that talking stick and, and speak their point of view into the circle. And it might take days or weeks to have all those perspectives shared. But at the end of the day, with everyone having been heard and considered, the tribe makes a decision. And that's what we have really failed at so far in humanity, I feel, you know, because what we've done is just create this, you know, this entrenchment and this, um, you know, trying to force each other to see our point of view. We need to actually step beyond that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think we need to step beyond having a point of view. We need to step beyond the commitment to the idea that our point of view is not a point of view. That it's an absolute correct solution for every human being on the planet and everyone needs to just sit down, shut up and listen to us. And it really becomes that rigid and that direct and that oppressive. And so as we go forward, it's just one step at a time, one step at a time. But because of the number of systems and structures that we have seen crash in the last seven years, and there was a tremendous impact from COVID and structures and systems collapsing, there is so much that is asking to be built now. And as I travel around, I was one of the first to be glad to be back on a plane. I hear so many people, they're waiting for it to get back to normal. And so that's become my conversation with people because my conversations are always organic. It's, I know what the goal is. I know why I'm here, what the objective is, but which conversation is going to forward us today. And so that's kind of become the conversation. and to actually have conversation with them, to invite them to see normal died. It's been buried. It's already turned to ash. So what an adventure. What an adventure. What are we going to create now? Not in place of what died, but in in an organic structure that can be more supportive to a full life of all of us. Yes. And reaching beyond our personal 
needs and wants into a larger understanding of the context of the planet and our place in it and the responsibility we have to make brilliant decisions right now mm-hmm. for the survival of our species. So beautiful to see you doing this work. I know that you are a speaker, that you have programs, that you, I love the name of this program, Be a Giraffe in a Field of Zebras. <laughs> That's fantastic. Thank you. See the, see the bigger picture is essentially, you know, see from a view and make decisions from that bigger view. And I would say that bigger self, the capital S self within us, not the little self, not the temporary self, but the capital S timeless one and making choices from that place that are making choices from the perspective of seven generations forward and seven generations back. Mm -hmm. Well, a giraffe sees beyond the end of its nose which is a very simplistic, but I like simplistic, let's say, analogies because people can relate to it, can see beyond the end of its nose. The zebra's looking at the ground. Yeah, and we have to see beyond. Wanting to resurrect everything, go back to normal, or how do we create new organic systems that support all of us? And organic meaning that they can evolve and they can change and they can grow and they're not static and fixed and literal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the growth model. We're moving out of the fixed model into the growth model. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about you uh, before we end the broadcast here. How do people get started with you? How do they find out more about you? How do they get started deepening into your teachings? Easiest way is to go to my website because I have my programs, I have my book, I have my podcast, it's all there. LeslieMichaels.com. Now, I mentioned earlier when our conversation that my mother's British. So it's not American, it's spelled the American way. It's L E S L E Y Michaels.com. If you go to LeslieMichaels.com with an L E Y, you'll find all of it there. And If you want to connect with me directly, it's leslie at lesliemichaels.com. I kept it simple, Carrie. I kept, I like simple. I don't have time for all this complicated business. Well, thank you so much. I love that. I will put all the links in the show notes so you guys can go down there and check it out. And I just want to thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us today. And also thank you for all the work that you've um, dedicated your life to, to help us to be better humans. Thank you so much for all of that service. You're welcome, Carrie. And thank you. Thank you for being out here, having these conversations, every different perspective that can be represented makes us more of who we are. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, everyone. So please like subscribe, share this episode out with um, anyone you think would be interested. And we appreciate you for doing that. It helps us get the word out and expand our sphere of influence with these kinds of conversations. And I'm going to now give you kisses. Leslie, would you like to join me as I give kisses to everybody? This is a little, it's, it's energetic kisses. So no worry of being sick. Oh, I love you guys. And we'll see you all next week on Soul Nectar Show. Bye for now. Have a great week. If you found even one gold nugget in this episode of Soul Nectar Show, will you do us a favor? Will you subscribe, like, and share this episode? 
Maybe even write a comment and let us know what you thought about it. We really, really want to engage with you at a much deeper level. Let's be part of community together. Have a great week, everyone. Bye for now. To dive in deeper to nourishing conversation, visit soulnectar.show. Take a sip from the drip of the nectar, from the source of who you are.